This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Friday. It is a Friday. It's September 2nd. We're looking at the start of a long weekend here for a lot of you folks as we prepare for Labor Day that is coming on Monday. I want to thank all of you for tuning in this past week while we were on location at the Farm Progress Show. Had a number of fantastic conversations with growers from across the country, with exhibitors, with new products, new pieces of equipment, and new technology, and even new types of software. They were all bringing to the table. It was truly a great event, great weather. I had a great time. I enjoyed connecting with a number of you listeners who stopped by. Thank you so much for taking the time to come by and see us. And now that farm progress is in the rearview mirror, we're looking ahead, folks. And as we look ahead here broadly in the markets, we're taking Friday here as a risk on day. Markets are higher on the day. We've got corn up eight cents, beans up 22 to 21 cents. We've got the wheat market moving higher by a lot, 21 to 19 cents higher down the deferred contracts. We'll be talking markets in more detail in segment three on today's show when Arlen Suderman joins us, chief commodities economist at Stonex. We'll be talking about why we've got this risk on day. We did see some news from the Department of Labor. The August jobs report was out, and we hired a lot of people in this country in August, but we also saw the unemployment rate climb. Arlen will get into those details in segment three. Before we talk about that, we're going to bring up a conversation I had on the grounds at the Farm Progress Show with the folks from RIPE, Rural Investment to Protect the Environment. These, This is a group of, of, of farmers, of producers, of, of companies that are getting together to try and secure a $100 an acre conservation uh, payment from the USDA. We're going to talk with Elisa Trues about that here in just a minute. And we're going to close the show looking ahead to the next big event on the schedule, which of course is Husker Harvest Days out in Grand Island, Nebraska. Folks, we are just two short weeks away from that event getting started. Mark Kerr, president of Chief Industries, will join us in segment four to look ahead to what they are going to have on display. And Matt Youngman, the events director, will also be joining us to talk about just what will be on display overall at Husker Harvest. Before we get to all of that, though, folks, I do want to circle back to a conversation that kept coming up time and time again while I was at Farm Progress. It's a conversation a lot of you have probably had around the dinner table and the coffee shop, which is fertilizer prices, crop nutrients, crop inputs. We continue to see these prices accelerate and taking a look at the markets today, we've got crude oil up another $2 today. So we are continuing to see that elevated price pressure be a factor. And that means that growers want to maximize those nutrients they are putting down on the field. Talking about that all week at Farm Progress, and now today here on the show is Andrew Luzum. He's with Corteva. He is a nutrient maximizer, strategic account manager. It's his job to think through ways to better manage those nutrients we put on our soil. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Let's talk first and foremost, as farmers are thinking about losses that occur with the fertilizers in particular that we put on the field, where do you notice the, the two biggest areas of loss occur here in, uh, in nitrogen fertilizer? Yeah, the two biggest losses we see occur definitely below ground um, and around nitrogen, right? So nitrogen, we know that 70% of loss can happen below the soil ground, and that happens through both leaching and denitrification. Um, and so there's ways to actually manage those two as we look at our crop inputs for this next year. Uh, you know, we look at nitrogen is probably going to be one of the most expensive inputs for a corn crop for a grower in 2023. Um, and so using a product like Enserve and Instinct uh, nitrification inhibitor, um, is definitely a piece that comes into play. And I've noticed that you use the phrase stabilizer a lot, stabilization, getting that nitrogen to be more secure in the soil. It seems like stabilizing is the first step to maximizing. Andrew, is that how you'd uh, present it? Yes, uh, stabilizing would be the first piece to maximizing, right? We want to make sure to maximize that nitrogen. Uh, it's got to be there and it's got to be available, right? And so the longer we can keep that nitrogen in the ammonium form um, and available in the root zone for the crop uptake, uh, the better off we're going to be for the season ahead. Well, let's talk about the products you've got to help keep that product, uh, keep that nitrogen stable in the field. When it's moving through the ground, what do you like to use? What do you recommend growers consider as they're thinking about that 23 season? Yeah, so as we're with 23 season, we've got two key products for below ground, Enserve being the first one. Uh, we use it with anhydrous ammonia in our fall application. 
And then we also have InSync NextGen. Uh, this is what we would use with our fall manure, um, as well as UAN and Urea as we look for spring applications. All right, and supplies on those heading into this new year, given there is going to be a lot of demand to make that nitrogen stretch a little bit further. Does Corteva have enough on hand to meet farmer demand here for this next year, Andrew? Yeah, we do. Uh, we've got uh, ample supply. You just got to talk to your local retailer, um, and they should be able to get it for you. All right. So, Andrew, we've got the nitrogen stable. It's stable both in the soil and it's not uh, you know, volatizing into the air. Now we've got to make sure it's more efficient. What does Corteva bring to the table to enhance that efficiency of that nutrient once it's in the soil? Yeah, so from an efficiency perspective, once it's in the soil, um, you know, these two products are what's helping you stabilize that. And so from an efficiency perspective, um, you know, just talking the austenite technology or the, the substance that's in those products, right? So as we look at that, um, how we make it more efficient is those products uh, slow down that nitrification process. And by doing that, we reduce leaching by 16%. We increase uh, soil retention by 28%. And we do actually reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 51%. What that means at the end of the day, Mike, is we're going to keep nitrogen in the soil longer and allow that to be more efficient for corn uptake. Uh, corn actually prefers the ammonia form, and so by keeping the ammonia form longer, it allows for more efficient uptake with the nitrogen, or for the corn and the nitrogen. Yeah, that ammonia uptake really allows that product to move into the plants, and it's fascinating that we've got all of this nitrogen in the air all around us. We know soybean plants are great at pulling it out and fixing it in the soil, but I understand Corteva's got a product that's going to help corn plants pull that nitrogen out of the air. Can you tell us about Utricia? Yeah, so Utricia N is a new product that uh, this is our first year we've launched it. Utricia N is, a, we call it a plant optimizer. Uh, so what it can actually do is uh, it lives in the stomata of the corn plant, and uh, it can actually capture atmospheric nitrogen and fixate it to the ammonium form, which is uh, a readily available nitrogen for the corn plant. And I'm guessing that nitrogen that's pulled out of the air and fixed to the corn plant, that's not something that's building up in the soil over time. I imagine the plant is using that end throughout the growing season. Is that how you, uh, you, you expect it to work? Yeah, correct. So it is rapidly utilizing it as a, it's a symbiotic relationship between that bacterium and the plant. And so as it's utilizing that atmospheric nitrogen and providing it for the corn plant, um, you know, we're saying it's roughly 20 to 30 units worth in a given season. You know, it's a living bacteria, so it, it definitely, you know, still thrives depending on the environment. Um, but it is a very sustainable way to get some additional nitrogen on a corn acre. And is Utricia, is Utricia out commercially for 23? It is, yep. You can go ahead and order it from your retailer today. How do we get more information, Andrew? If folks are curious about what we've talked about today, where can they go to learn some more? Yeah, if you go to Corteva.com, you can search Utricia N or uh, Optonite Technology if you want to talk more about our stabilizers. Um, and it's all on the internet there. That does make it very handy to get a handle on, folks. Check that out. We've been talking to Andrew Luzum with Corteva. He is a nutrient maximizer, strategic account manager, working across the egg spectrum, making these efficiencies more available to growers. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We're going to talk with Elisa Drews of Ripe to learn about how we could be seeing a $100 an acre conservation payment before too much longer. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
The archaeological records suggest that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders. The baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You know, at the Farm Progress Show this past week, you could certainly tell that this was an election year. We had politicians from all over the country coming to Boone to talk with farmers, to get their impression of the ag economy overall, and to hear what they'd like to see changed as our federal lawmakers get prepared to write that 2023 Farm Bill. That's coming up very, very soon. Those listening sessions have gotten started, and there are a number of different proposals out there, new ideas to bring to the table. And one group that has been working to raise awareness of their concern is right. They are the Rural Investment to Protect Our Environment. They're pushing to see a $100 an acre payment for consumers and conservation. Talking to us today, we've got Elisa Drew. She's the executive director of the operation. And Elisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Let's talk first and foremost about RIPE. Can you tell us a little bit about who makes the membership here in the organization? Yes, we, have, we are a producer-led organization from the board as well as the steering committee and organizations including Arkansas Rice, North Dakota Grain Growers, Minnesota Farmers Union, National Black Farmers Association, National Sorghum. Those are some of the groups as well as several others that represent a diverse set of crop types, regions, and farm sizes across the country. And Elisa, what brought this diverse group of growers and, and grower advocates together? What was the core idea here of RIPE that you're trying to get out in front of folks here before the 23 Farm Bill? Yeah, so as, as you know, the conservation programs in our country through the Farm Bill are primarily a cost share model that tell farmers that, hey, these are practices that are good for the natural resources. So if you put in your own money, we'll give you a little bit back. And that leaves farmers to pay out of pocket from a philanthropic lens to make these investments that are really delivering significant public benefits. So we want to transition conservation programs into more of a economic opportunity that covers the full cost of adopting the practice and allows for a reasonable return above all costs. So in the energy space, for instance, the clean energy policies that our country passes they don't use a cost share model. They don't say, hey, clean energy companies, we'd really like you to invest some wind turbines. We'll give you a couple of pennies on the dollar and you do it philanthropically. That's just not 
a reasonable expectation for any company and any private entity to do anything at scale. So those policies are designed to enable that reasonable return for those investments. And we're saying, why not farmers? They have a tremendous opportunity to bring significant water quality, health, climate, air, water quality, water conservation, soil health, all these tremendous public benefits. But in order to make a system that works at scale, we need to have that reasonable return built into the model. So that's the main conceptual message that we're trying to advance that right. And that conceptual message, that would be a pretty big shift, as you mentioned, from the way things are currently done today. So, Elisa, if you would, let's talk a little bit through how this could come to pass. We've got a year before the Farm Bill. What is RIPE trying to do and what needs to change in the law in order to allow this sort of a conservation payment to go out? Absolutely. So it is a big shift, as you said, in the agricultural space. And again, I also want to stress that it's really not a hard shift because Congress passes these types of laws all the time. They just do it on the Energy Committee. They haven't done it in the Ag Committee. So farmers just need to know that this is really a very reasonable ask. It's just something that farmers need to ask for. So specifically, what we're saying is that as agricultural groups develop their 2023 Farm Bill platform, they should include that a position that a portion of the new funds that were appropriated by Congress for climate smart agriculture should be invested in a conservation program that enables producers to earn an equitable payment above implementation costs, economic losses during the transition to new practices, and covering future climate policy costs. So this is a, a, an ask that ag groups can make without even sacrificing any of their other priorities because Congress just allocated $18 billion to Climate Smart Ag. Well, and that was my question. That $18 billion, is that going to be enough? How much of the budget would, would be required for folks to get 100 bucks an acre or animal unit? I always forget to make that, uh, that announcement. That is a part of the proposal, isn't it? Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you for that. Animal units um, are key. The livestock sector has a tremendous opportunity to invest in climate mitigation and providing water and air quality benefits. And so animal units is a key part of the um, what we're proposing that actually is missing from what the current money that was allocated does not really give livestock a big opportunity because it's more land-based uh, practices in the existing. So anyway, that's another topic that we should talk about at another time. Um, but back to your question in terms of the size of the fund. So the money that was just allocated, if we, if we took a portion of that $18 billion, that would really allow for a tremendous national program first phase. And then in order to, our goal is all land as much as voluntarily producers want to put in. And to do that, we would need additional funds. And it's uh, an amount of funds that would really be a small portion of what congressional um, budget for climate initiatives are. So it's a very small, reasonable um, portion of large climate uh, bills. As we just saw from the most recent IRA, you know, climate bills are passing at the tune of, you know, $369 billion. So we just need a small portion of that in order to provide every producer this profit opportunity. And also, it, it's a program that really scales easily. So whatever size fund Congress needs suitable to pass, we'll work with it and get the model to demonstrate that this can work and provide producers with an opportunity at whatever scale we have. Elisa, I'm glad you mentioned the scalability of the program because a concern I hear from growers as they look at a lot of the programs available today is that uh, how do you verify? There's a lot of requirements in proving that you're doing the climate smart agricultural practices on your farm. How would RIPE envision USDA overseeing this uh, this program in, in that regard? Yes. So a lot of the historic um, issues around verification for climate practices is due to the market-based nature of carbon offsets and the reason being that the actors buying the credits were polluting more because of what farmers were polluting less and that transaction needed to be very carefully monitored. So for many of those technical reasons, it's created a huge problem. But what we're proposing is a much simpler, easier model which is what existing conservation programs already do, which is that farmers do these practices, they self-verify 
uh, put in their notes about this is what I did, um, submit a receipt, and then end of story in the sense of, you know, Congressional Budget Office has already reviewed um, millions of dollars of USDA programs that operate in that way, and they found them to be very credible, um, no problems of widespread um, fraud. So we're saying let's just do more of that with this type of model, and because it's not a market transaction program, we don't need to have those very intense verification levels. With that said, we think this is a very reasonable approach, but we're also willing to talk with stakeholders about other ideas. There's a lot of good ideas that are coming out of this USDA Climate Smart Pilot, and we want to work with others. So we have a very uh, practical thing that can go out of the gate that doesn't require sensors everywhere, but if there's a better idea out there, we're happy to work with it. Happy to work with it. Always good to get those ideas out there. As you present these ideas in Washington, D.C., Elisa, what has been the response from existing legislators and policymakers? Yes, we've spoken with um, leaders in both parties and both chambers, and especially in the Ag Committee, and there's a lot of receptivity to the idea. Both Democrats and Republicans really like the idea of this as a voluntary opportunity. It reflects the public benefits because we demonstrate all the data showing that these would have about an 11 to 1 uh, benefit cost ratio to the public. So there's a lot of positive receptivity to both uh, in both parties. The one consistent message that we hear is where are farmers asking for this? If farmers want this, then I'm very open to it, but I need to see farm trade groups ask for it. All right, folks, you got to get your voices out there. Elisa, we have just barely scratched the surface on RIPE's proposal, but I know you folks have a number of webinars coming up throughout the fall. Can you tell our listeners how they can get, get on, get registered, and listen in to the program in more detail? Absolutely. We hold a monthly webinar so that anyone can join and come learn about the basics and ask whatever questions you have. We have an outstanding outreach team and team of consultants who um, are eager to talk with you and help explain and work with you to bring this idea to whichever agricultural group um, you're active in. So we would love to connect. And Fantastic. And you can connect on riperoadmap.org. That's R-I-P-E roadmap.org. We have been talking to Elisa Drews, the executive director of RIPE. And Elisa, thank you so much for, for talking to us and for sharing with us your proposal. Thanks And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to be talking with our friend Arlen Suderman about the moves in the market today and what he expects as next week comes into focus. Stick around for more AOA after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risfet with this market update. Jobs and the economy are again the focus on Wall Street today ahead of the three-day U.S. Labor Day holiday weekend. The news will continue through the holiday period, but the markets will be closed through Monday, leading some traders to focus on risk management ahead of the break. The VIX has slipped lower to trade near 24 this morning, while the dollar index has pulled back a bit from yesterday's fresh 20-year high. The broader commodity sector bounced overnight after being under pressure for much of the week in a recessionary trade. Crude oil prices are trading 2% higher, while the grain and oilseed sector trading mostly 1% higher. The primary focus currently remains on the corn crop, with the market expecting a small crop to get even smaller. 
Overall yields look good in the east while they fall short in the west, leading the basis market to pay the bill for moving corn from north and east to south and west in the months ahead. Private estimates will be coming in in the following days here with USDA weighing in on September 12th. And taking a little look to the rest of the world here, China has entered an agreement to strengthen its cooperation with Russian agricultural development. More than 5,000 people from both China and Russia participated in an online meeting Thursday designed to promote bilateral trade and investment in the egg sector. The primary focus was on developing production and trade of soybeans, wheat, corn, and meat. China committed to import 3.7 million metric tons of beans from Russia by 2024. That is up from 515,000 tons in this year. One of the keys to watch here in the near term is whether China shifts to buying more wheat from Russia. China is expected to reduce soybean imports primarily from the United States by more than 9 million metric tons over the next three months as it leans more on reserve supplies amid relatively soft demand. Let's take a look at the commodity numbers. September corn up eight at 666 and a quarter. Beans September up 31 and a quarter at 1504. Wheat Chicago September down 33 and a half at 775 and a half. Kansas City September up 19 and three quarters at 883 and a quarter. And the Minneapolis September wheat that is down a half at 874. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Friday. If you have pulled up your phone, opened your computer, taken a look at the markets, you've probably seen a lot of green on the screen. We've got the grains higher today. We've got the equity markets higher today. We've got the energy markets higher today. And we've got livestock, at least fat cattle and front month feeders currently running a little bit stronger. The market is in a risk on mood, it would appear. Joining us to talk about it is Mr. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stone X. Arlen, today's move in the market surprise you much? <laughs> I've learned not to let too much surprise me in these markets overall. It's really tied to the sentiment. <laughs> The outside markets. And just like yesterday, everyone was going, okay, what's the fundamental story behind the big sell-off? Well, there really wasn't one. It was more of a macro market money flow type of a situation. And that's reversed today. And we had a jobs market, uh, jobs report that came out this morning, which basically said, okay, the jobs market is starting to soften, wage inflation starting to soften. And so Wall Street interprets that as maybe the Fed won't have to be as hawkish with its monetary tightening. And so it's saying, oh, big sigh of relief. Let's kind of uh, maybe the recession won't be so bad. Let's put some money back into some of these markets we've been taking it out of lately. So it's probably money flow. You can point to some fundamental factors that justify the gains, and, and we can certainly talk about those. Um, but this is largely money flow coming back in now ahead of the three-day holiday weekend. Well, let's talk about the money flow, Arlen, for a second, because we are seeing that have such a profound impact on prices here in 2022. It, you mentioned we saw bad news, effectively. We, unemployment rate climbed 315,000 jobs, but the market is jumping because they think that means we're going to pull interest rates back down lower. What's your take here as the Fed gets ready for their uh, mid-September announcement? 
Yeah, uh, and uh, I think it's important to understand the thinking of Wall Street here relative to the Fed. First of all, the Federal Reserve can't get control of inflation, and it does see, and I think correctly so, inflation is the greater threat here long term. You can't let inflation become ingrained. I wish they would have thought of that about a year and a half sooner, but they seem to have got the religion now. Um, And so we've never tamed inflation without taking interest rates above the rate of inflation. Um, You have to bring demand down to bring it more in line with what our supply chains are able to supply. That's not just with goods and services, but that's with the jobs market as well. Both sides need to be working. That means the unemployment rate has to be pushed higher in order to bring wage inflation down. Um, And so the Fed is finally being straightforward with that. And over the past week, they have said, you know, if inflation, excuse me, if controlling inflation results in uh, a recession, then so be it. That's what has to happen. And um, they've said we need to uh, slow down the jobs market and stuff. So the way Wall Street interprets it, its greater fear right now is what the Fed might do to slow down the economy, even though that's what needs to happen, because that starts to take their candy jar away from them. And so when they see strong economic data, they say, oh, no, that means the Fed's going to have to tighten, be a more aggressively more aggressive in its monetary tightening. Uh, when they say weak economic data, they say, oh, sigh of relief. That means maybe the Fed will slow down. The market has continuously underestimated the Fed's conviction on monetary tightening over the last four to five months. And so the Fed has said we're going to be aggressive, and the market says, oh, they're going to lose their heart. They're not going to do that. And here again, we're getting that kind of reaction this morning. In my opinion, I don't think this morning's jobs report changes the Fed's mind. I think they stay aggressive with the monetary tightening. Um, That means interest rate hikes and staying with their program now for withdrawing stimulus from the system because I think they understand that's what needs to happen for the long-term good of the economy, even though it creates pain in the short term. Um, But for today, the market is wanting to believe that the glass is half full. We do live in interesting times, Arlen. I think that's a fact. I want to turn your focus over to the fundamental factors here in the grain markets. We are now on the second week without an export sales report from the USDA. How do you think that is affecting traders' decisions in this elevated market? Well, uh, first of all, it doesn't provide fundamental information to to turn to to distract the trade or to focus the trade, maybe is a better word, at this time when we're trading all these macro money flow type of issues that we've been talking about. So we need that steady flow of fundamental information. Second of all, the weekly export sales reports, the export sales reporting system from USDA is the only one they do that's really mandated by Congress, going back to the great grain robbery of the 1970s when Russia quietly came in and bought up our supplies. So Congress mandated this. The USDA still has its daily reporting system, but we know not all sales get through there or reported in that. And even that has shown some aggressive sales to China um, we don't have any comprehensive export sales data since August 11th, and we're not going to have any until September 15th. There's a five-week period of time when a country can come in with some creativity and be buying up a lot of our stocks without the market knowing it. Is that happening? We won't know until at least September 15th. Now, the data we do know is since August 23rd, through the daily reporting system, China has purchased China and or unknown destinations, which we assume to be China when the soybean market has pushed, uh, purchased 58.8 million bushels of soybeans from the U.S. Um, our sources on the ground in China believe that it's much more than that, but we simply won't know for a while. The market would be reacting more to that, I think, if they knew the full scope of Chinese buying, but they don't. So that allows it to just sell off like we did yesterday in the middle of all this macro selling. Arlen, with that being the case, if China is buying, if they have been securing fairly large commitments, wouldn't we see that reflected in the basis at some of the export ports? 
Well, we are in some cases. It, uh, you know, it depends on the market where you're at, what, you know, where they're drawing it from, etc. But that is an excellent question. But we are, in fact, seeing some of that strength. We just don't know the scope of the buying and what's available. We know that we also tend to have a bigger supply sometime now. Farmers kind of cleaning out the bins ahead of the fall harvest. Uh, so it really depends on where you're at. But overall, we are seeing some of that strength in the export market terminals. Arlen, I want to turn the focus to the corn market. While we're thinking exports, while that's fresh, of course, we've been reading a lot about the droughts in Europe and in China. Are you anticipating corn exports to climb here over the next couple of months as the severity of those droughts really sets in? I am. Let's put some perspective to it. Uh, Europe should be growing about 70 million metric tons of corn. Um, USDA has come down to 58 million metric tons, down from 68 million metric tons the previous month. Um, and our sources are saying we're probably going to see that drop to the low 50 million metric ton level. So that's a big deficit in corn. They would normally fill with Ukrainian corn, but those supplies are going to be limited. They don't like our GMO corn, so I do expect it to increase imports of U.S. grain sorghum as we go through the, the following marketing year. I think that would be good for U.S. grain sorghum producers. Uh, on the China side, um, the drought, primarily in the Yangtze River Valley, has been horrendous. It, it's just a huge drought. But only about 10% of the Corn Belt is there. So it is affecting corn production um, in going to increase the deficit that they have this year um, somewhat, but not to the extent that you see on the social media. The larger crop it's impacting is the rice crop. The, the bulk of their rice, the majority of the rice that they consume in China is consumed in the second crop, second crop rice behind uh, that they double crop. And so that's where a lot of it is grown. So you would expect that there'd be a real panic in the rice market, but ironically, there is not at this point. So this is kind of giving us mixed signals. In fact, China is still offering rice on a weekly basis from their reserves, and that and only small portions of that rice are being taken by the market at relatively low prices, and rice is trading cheaper in corn, so we're still feeding rice. So we don't see any concern domestically within China about the scope of losses to the rice. So a lot of conflicting stories. It's hard to believe you could have such a severe drought and not a severe impact on the production. Um, but that's the signals that we're getting right now. Well, it is going to be interesting to watch that play out. I want to take the focus back to the supply situation. Arlen, of course, will be looking for that USDA supply and demand estimate on September 12th. We've seen expectations of corn yield dropping here over the past month. Does, uh, does Stonex have a handle yet on what you're expecting this, uh, this report to show for corn yield? Our customer, latest monthly customer survey estimate came out yesterday afternoon, so almost fresh off the press. We lowered our yield estimate from 176 uh, for corn last month to 173.2 uh, yesterday, and I anticipate that will continue to trend lower. And on soybeans, though, we raised it a half bushel to 51.8. And I know I, I hear from a lot of people, if they're in areas that got rain, they say, oh, you're too low. And if they're in areas that didn't get rain, you're saying, you know, you're too high. This is the year of the haves and have-nots, depending on whether you got rain or didn't have rain. And I'm hearing from both sides of it. It really comes down to how well... It's really going to come down to seed size in the west of the Mississippi River and those areas that did not get rain. How much are we shrinking seed size that the east will not, and those areas that got rain, will not be able to offset? Uh, and that really doesn't show up in our yield models very well. Going to have to wait until those combines roll. We start getting data from those yield monitors. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on this Friday. Thank you, Mike. Have a great holiday weekend. Same to you, sir. And folks, stick around. We're going to check in with Mark Kerr, president of Chief Agri, and Matt Youngman, events director at the Farm Progress Show. Getting excited about that Husker Harvest Days coming up in two weeks. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. 
the good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. As harvest begins, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to be diligent in taking the proper precautions to ensure treated seed does not enter the domestic or export grain supply. When properly handled, seed treatments are an effective agronomic tool that provides seeds the necessary protection for a strong, healthy start. Completely remove all treated seed left in containers and equipment used to handle harvested grain and dispose of it properly. Always be careful to follow state and federal guidelines for proper handling, storage, and disposal of treated seed. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. 
This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. I tell you what, I apologize for my voice being a little bit scratchy today. I have been talking a lot over the past three days at the Farm Progress Show, catching up with growers from around the country, catching up with exhibitors both from the United States and around the world. And folks, I'm getting really excited. The industry is going to have the chance to do that again a little bit farther west here in just about two weeks. Husker Harvest Days will be kicking off in Grand Island, Nebraska, our friends at Chief Agri have been bringing us these preview reports, and today we are going to be talking with Mr. Matt Youngman. He is the show director there at the Husker Harvest Days. And Matt, oh, let's start with a deep breath. How do you feel putting Farm Progress Show 2022 to bed? Well, it, we're still packing up. Gonna got to do some laundry and repack and get on down I-80 headed towards Grand Island. It's uh, it, it was a very successful farm progress show as, as you well know you traveled every inch that i did and, and, and talked to more folks than i did so it, you you know how successful it was and really happy with that and getting excited and, and crank the machine back up and go do husker harvest days absolutely and it is going to be so exciting matt you're going to be on the road heading west for listeners who have never had the chance to get to husker harvest days they haven't had the chance to to be on that site to see the location tell us a little bit just what do they need to know what are the the top three things you wish folks knew when they were showing up at husker well so number one would be action there's there's just a bunch of action between the corn harvesting and and tillage and strip till and um, haying demonstrations, cattle handling demonstrations, stock dogs, horse gentling, uh, autonomy demonstrations. There's just a, a lot of action going on. The, the, the second thing would be um, the, the food, the, the food stands, I, you know, you and I talked and, and, and the food stands at Husker Harvest Days are all run by local schools and they all compete with each other to have the best food and they do a, a heck of a good job. And then uh, the third thing is uh, come out and, and check out, you know, the, the latest and greatest, all the, all the new stuff is there. Um, everybody wants to, wants to see the big tractors or, or see the cattle handling demonstrations or see the livestock and, and it, it's all there and, and ready to, ready to view. And the livestock angle of Husker Harvest Days is truly what makes it unique, what makes it stand out in my book, Matt, given that my background is in livestock, it's with cattle. It is truly unique to see this on display. Give us a little description. How do the candle cattle handling demonstrations work? We, we run them twice a day, 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock. We've got a, a local uh, cattleman there that, that allows us to use some of his cattle from his feedlot. And on average, I think we have about nine shoots. I know for sure of six of them that are going to be there. Uh, a couple more may slip in here as we go forward. But uh, twice a day, we, we run cattle through the shoots, and Doc Joe Jeffries moderates, moderates each one of the demonstrations, and he, he sure makes it a lot of fun and educational as well. But uh, each company rep gets to run cattle two head through their shoot and talk about the features and benefits. And there's everything from, you know, a super high-end, hydraulic, uh, all the bells and whistles shoot down to, you know, a, a very basic, um, you know, small herd type head shoot, uh, mechanical head shoot. And so you, you kind of get a chance to, to view all the different kinds and, and all the different benefits and features of, of all of them. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really educational thing. And in between the 10 o'clock demo and the 2 o'clock demo, there are seminars going on in that building using those grandstands as, as an opportunity for growers to sit in and learn about markets and feeds and, and, and issues facing cattlemen, drought things, and, and, and that sort of thing, so that the, the day is, I mean, it's, it's truly action-packed. There's just something going on everywhere throughout the grounds. Matt, a lot of times when us in the media world are focusing on Farm Progress Show or Husker Harvest Days, we're focused on showing the biggest, the newest, the greatest things that are on display. But both shows have supplies, have new products to suit all different sizes of growers. That's what always amazes me when I'm walking around on the grounds and I'm talking to, to different exhibitors. There are folks that will get you that 60 row planter if you want, or they'll do a two row if you need. There, it fits every size. That's unique. And I imagine that continues at Husker. That, that that's exactly right. You know, there's there's something there for everybody, regardless regardless of size. And um, you know, 
the, the thing about it is we've got it's 600 exhibitors and 60 of them are brand new. So it's as as companies merge and companies come together and, and those kind of things happen and and people you know names fall off of the exhibitor list because they've been bought up there's always that next new great idea that's coming out and and in those 60 new exhibitors you've got everything from livestock handling to feed to machinery to Beck seeds making a big push into Nebraska and and you know there's there's just kind of something for everybody even even in that list of new companies Absolutely. And, you know, we are here. Chief is bringing this segment to us. Matt, you have worked with Chief at Husker for a long time. Can you talk a little bit about what they've done there, particularly with the grounds? Well, I've done this. I've had this position since 2004. And and since I even started, the relationship with Chief was very strong long, long, long before uh, I was ever there. And, and, you know, Chief has been Chief is right there in Grand Island and they've supported the show since day one. Um, but you know, just in my tenure, uh, we've worked with their homes division, Bonneville, to put in a new office for us. And then they were they were standing right next to us in 2018 when we did did the big uh, infrastructure upgrade, all new all new security lighting, storm sewer drainage, paved roads, uh, security fence, electrical distribution. Everything was new there just four years ago, and and it it still looks like a shiny new penny there on the grounds. Everything is just in tremendous shape. It's a little brown because they haven't had much rain, but uh, it looks really great. And Chief is, you're going to see the Chief logo about everywhere you go, and, and they've earned it because they've, they've been a great partner of ours. Matt, HuskerHarvestDays.com. If I get on that website, and I'm curious about the show, what all can I learn, and where do I need to go to find it? Get tickets. Yeah, go to HuskerHarvestDays.com, and right there is about everything you need to have. We're going to have the show program up there pretty quick. Uh, you can buy your tickets online, the traffic direction, the schedule of events, uh, book your hotel, information about the camping on the ground, just everything you need is at HuskerHarvestDays.com. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. Give Matt Youngman a big wave if you make it out to Husker Harvest. And, of course, stop by and see our friends at Chief. See what's new in the world of grain handling and storage. Folks, tune in on Monday. We will have a new show. It was recorded this week at the Farm Progress Show. Tune in. You're not going to want to miss that. We'll be back live on Tuesday, Talking Policy with Jackie Fatka. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.